Hey, what's up, Liberty Lovers? This is your Felony Friday host, John Odermatt. If this is your first time listening to this show or to the Lions of Liberty podcast as a whole, just put your fingers in your ear holes and go la 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 for the next 15, 20 seconds. Because I just want to remind our um, longtime listeners, our longest time fans, if you have not given us a five-star rating and left a review on Apple Podcasts, sometimes called iTunes, please go do that now. Leave that five star, leave that rating, and ask us a question because we're looking to gather up a bunch, a whole gaggle of questions together and uh, eventually here have another show, a bonus show in the main feed dedicated to answering your questions. So go do it right now. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here at Lions of Liberty, we have a bit of a uh, variety channel. My Friday show, Felony Friday, is one of the great shows, but there's two more on Monday and Wednesday. Monday's show hosted by Mark Clare, Wednesday by Brian McWilliams. They both bring their own flavor and flair to the podcasting game. Check those out. Subscribe to Lions of Liberty on your podcasting app to get all three. And today's episode of Felony Friday is another great one. I have an awesome guest lined up who is going to share another story of injustice in the criminal justice system. And we're going to shine a light and we are going to keep the momentum going, keep the momentum going for change in the criminal justice system. So share this show, tell a friend, text it to a friend, tell a stranger on the street. I don't care. Enjoy today's show. On today's episode of Felony Friday, I am joined by June Bolin. Uh, June is here today to advocate for clemency. For her husband, John, who is currently incarcerated, John is serving a life sentence without parole for his part in a conspiracy to import five or more kilos, attempt to import five or more kilos, conspiracy to possess five or more kilos. Um, we'll get into the whole story and what happened um, with his arrest, with his conviction, and with his sentence. Um, June, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on the show, June. And I've had a, a few of my past guests in the past eight or so episodes, or I should say three of my past guests from my past eight or, eight or few episodes, I think had uh, either had served time with, uh, with your husband or um, knew about him um, through other people. Um, one, one that comes to mind is uh, Rufus Rochelle. Did he uh, think he did yes. time with, with your <laughs> yes, husband? Yes, they were together at the Coleman Medium. Yes. Okay. And uh, Chad Marks? I don't think they ever served time together. I think that's just one of the um, the way networking works. You know, now we've reached out to more people than we've ever known who are now friends and advocates for John as well. Right, right. So, um, I mean, the reason you're here today is to to advocate for your husband to get word out about his his sentence, about a, a huge uh, injustice uh, that's going on. That is, uh, I mean, obviously he's he's in prison and it's torn your torn your family apart. And I want to give you, you know, the, the chance to 
really share share the truth here and, and to get the word out what happened and uh, you know shine a light on uh, on the, the injustice that your your husband is suffering. So before we get into his arrest and um, everything that happened with the trial and um, and all that, if we could kind of turn back the clock and go to uh, the time before um, John was arrested and did anything happen? If you could kind of paint the picture of what your life was like back then. I guess I would say it's typical, but I don't really think it is. He's kind of a, a natural entrepreneur. So life has always been an adventure with John. We, um, we met in high school. Our first date was prom. I happened to ask him, so who are you going to prom with? And he said, you remember? And that was actually how he asked me to go to prom. <laughs> so we went to our, our senior prom together. That was our first date. And we've been together ever since. We just have been inseparable. We were friends a little bit, you know, before that, you know, having same classes together and things like that. But senior year was the year and we were um, inseparable, literally inseparable after that. I went on, you know, we both went to college and, and did some college, some uh, community college. He went to FIT for a while, but his passion was always fishing and he really always wanted to own and run a charter boat business. So that was always, always on his mind is what his ultimate goal would be. And I just supported him. The The only real thing I wanted to be in life was a mom. I didn't have any like big dream like he had. So I just was there behind him all the way. And we own different businesses, but the, the final business that he owned was his charter business. He achieved his dream and, um, and he was really good at it. He just has a knack for some reason with the fish, it's like he can read the water. He knows where they are. And he made a lot of people very happy on, on charter fishing trips locally here in Florida. And then he started fishing over in the Bahamas as well. Mm. And um, during the early years, 98, we had our son. We have one son together. So when John started taking more trips across to the Bahamas, we tried to go as much as we could together and stay together and then we would come home and spend as much time as we could because it was it was tough when he was away and like I said we were kind of inseparable but during 2004 I think it was we had some serious hurricanes come through and kind of destroy the marinas they damaged uh, our house my mother-in-law's house my grandmother-in-law's house so things were, were tough then you know that was our only business and Having been fishing in the Bahamas, he decided to go there to fish more out of the Bahamas because it was easier to get to the fishing and cheaper, in a sense, than fishing from here. And like I said, the marinas were destroyed. Right. So and this was this was you said two thousand early two thousand four. Yeah, mm -hmm. two thousand four. I think is when they came through, and it was a couple of years before things got up and running back here again. Unfortunately, but. Eventually, he was approached by somebody in the Bahamas, you know, trying to encourage him to make some easy money, and it wasn't hard to encourage him, I guess. He decided to do it, decided to allow his boat to be used to transport here to Florida, cocaine, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And this is the, the first, I mean, he had no prior no. criminal record of, of any no. kind. This wasn't something he'd done before. No, he's, he never even has had a speeding ticket. He's never been in trouble with anything. I think it was 
the financial pressure, you know, bills that were mounting. He didn't want to lose his business. I think part of it was probably pride Mm -hmm. too. And unfortunately he saw it as an easy way to, to help out of that situation and didn't feel like it was like he was really doing anything wrong other than allowing his boat to be used. So was, was it a sting operation or, or how did, how did he ultimately get caught? Ultimately um, they were bringing the boat back from the Bahamas. He was here in the States. They had the boat over there and they were bringing them back, bringing, you know, making a trip back here to the States and the boat was damaged and the coast guard had pulled them over. I guess that's, I don't know that it was a sting, Mm -hmm. but it almost feels like it could have been the way things went down. And, you know, the, the more you learn later, but the coast guard pulled them over. I think because of their suspicion, I don't know if they were just suspicious of the boat in general or its speed or what it was that drew them to the boat. And then ultimately um, I think is what they did is, they still came here to Florida, and that's when the local authorities were called down to the uh, marina where they did a search, and that's where they found the drugs with a, a canine. So John was not even on the boat? When no. It was... No, never. Hmm. Yeah. How did things play out from there? You're going to have to forgive me because it's been a long time, and that yeah. was probably the worst time of my life, of course. I can imagine. And a lot of things for me are more of a blur. So hopefully one day John can join you and yeah. give you better details of everything, hopefully soon. But um, from my understanding, the, the DEA, like I said, came and used the, the dogs. And that's when the drugs were found. So they arrested the Bahamians that were on the boat. They called John down. John went down and talked to them. Uh, I think it was an ICE agent and a DEA agent. And he came home. We didn't really hear anything about it after that from them, but we did have a friend who was a lawyer. So we called him right away and he started helping John find out what was going on, what were the charges going to be and those kind of things. So then it ultimately led to those two testifying against John. And that's, they, they took a plea deal. John ended up going to trial and so they testified against John. What did they testify to? That he, the, the crazy thing is their testimony was he just allowed his boat to be used. He never had possession of the drugs. He never saw the drugs. He didn't know where they were going, where they were coming from. But yet they still charged John because it was a conspiracy charge. Mm-hmm. They still charged him with, and I, I think because he was the owner of the boat God. as a, yeah, they charged him basically for everything. Like he's this big kingpin responsible for all this, these drugs. And we didn't have the best representation. I mean, that was our fault, unfortunately. But regardless, the system in general, it was, it was a horrible education really quickly in our unjust justice system. Yeah. For sure. So was, was John offered a plea deal? No. He was not. Wow. No. Oh, man. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, our lawyers at the time, John thought he was facing 40 years in prison, which is really life when you're 35 years old. And so 
decided to go to trial. That's how he ended up going to trial. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if it was just the inaccuracy, the, you know, our ineffectiveness of our lawyers not being able to, to arrange a plea, a plea deal, or maybe the prosecutor, you know, it was a small town called Fort Pierce in, in Florida, and maybe she was just trying to make a name for herself. I, I, don't, I don't know why they never offered him anything. During the trial, the DEA agent that testified was one of those agents that they use for testifying, not necessarily involved in the case. And he told us in the hallway, he said, you know, I don't know. I don't think they have this one talking about the prosecutor. Most of the people involved through the court system didn't think they were going to win their case. And they did. They won. You don't really lose. (laughs) The government doesn't lose too many cases for sure. Yeah, they win like or I mean like 90% or something and yeah, go, yeah. go to plea in the first place. <laughs> yes. but yeah. Then on top yeah. of that, yeah, they, they rarely ever lose. Yes. Um, yeah. Even if people are, are innocent, they, they rarely yes. ever lose. Very true. Um, Very true. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's, it's probably painful for you to, to recount this, but I mean, John, your husband is, is going away to, the prison on, on a life sentence, what was, you know, what, what sort of have you, have you leaned on and, and what's brought you through uh, these years? Definitely family. I, I don't know what we would have done without the support of our family. Um, we have a tight knit small family. There's few of us, but we are close. And I mean, I was a, a total wreck. I mean, just a wreck. I wish I could go back and tell myself then, you know, come on, focus, stay strong, you know, but you just, it's unfathomable thinking that you will never be with this person again, that, that it's, it's, it's like a death, but that person is still there. You just can't touch them and be with them and have them enjoy all those things in life mm-hmm. that everybody else gets to enjoy. And I'm not saying, you know, he shouldn't have served time. That's reasonable but not for life sentences. He was given a life sentence for each of those counts. They're run concurrently, but technically he has four life sentences and we don't have a parole system anymore. So there's no chance for parole. And I think it was like life sentence plus five years probation or, or something crazy like that. So it was, I don't think I've wrapped my head around it still, to be honest. I just, I don't think I ever accepted it in my heart as that's it. I just never fully said, well, he's in for life. He did. In fact, some of the first visits that we had together, he, you know, we cried all the time, of course, in the beginning. And he would say, you know, I'm so sorry. And I'm going to die here in prison. And, and I would just keep telling him, you don't know that. I mean, things change all the time. Laws could change. You just probation mm-hmm. could come back. You just, you never know what's going to happen. And I am forever the optimist, but I just didn't believe it. I just didn't believe it to be true. I still, I just, I know he's going to be home. I know we'll be back together. Our family can heal and move forward together, start a new chapter. I just, I'm not saying it hasn't been tough. It's definitely been difficult, but I just try to stay positive and try to keep him positive. And I mean, look, things have changed. The whole country seems to understand a little bit better now what our unjust system is. It's Mm -hmm. not, 
it's not what they think. You know, a lot of people used to say, you do the crime, you do the time. You know, that was such a popular thing to say. And now people, I think, because so many families have been affected, they feel it now. They see with their own eyes what's happening. And it's changing. Things are happening for sure. Hey, just want to take a real quick minute here to talk about another Libertarian podcast. If you haven't listened to Good Morning Liberty, it's a five-day-per-week show. Nate and Charlie, I don't know how they do it, five days per week, pumping out fantastic content. Also, um, their Twitter game, I have to say, I've been following them on Twitter, is on point. At Good AM Liberty, check it out. I don't know if it's Nate or Charlie running the account, but whichever one is doing it, fantastic job. Um also, their, their show. So what is their show? They are trying to really take the onus of trying to change people's minds of how uh, people view libertarians. And they're trying to do this by leading with a message of compassion first, rather than, um, you know, pounding on your keyboard and screaming at people like libertarians uh, love to do. So they're looking at ways in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. Uh, they both have uh, backgrounds in healthcare. They own a healthcare IT company. Check it out. Good Morning Liberty, wherever you get your podcast. You can also um, subscribe to their podcast by going to BernieLies.com, which uh, in an aw- so awesome redirects right to their uh, their podcast links page. So check that out. Good Morning Liberty. Yeah, it's been a it's been a slow evolution, but I think you hit the nail on the head there because. I mean, everybody, it seems like everybody at least knows someone. Um, yeah. It might not be someone in their direct family, but they know of someone um, that's been impacted by a, a family member or a friend who's who's incarcerated. It's touched because, I mean, we have, have by far the most, the, the highest incarcerated uh, percent of population um, in the world. In the world, yeah. So it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, it is. That's turning uh <laughs> Turning ahead and looking at the situation now with uh, the possibility for for clemency for John, where does where does that stand? And does does the current situation with COVID and the CARES Act is that a potential path? Uh, we're hoping so. He did file a petition for compassionate release. Uh, we haven't had the best luck with the court system down there. Um, so and and the compassionate release goes back to that same sitting judge, unfortunately. But he made a good argument, and he has a good argument for compassionate release, including some things, you know, some things that have changed because of the First Step Act. He probably wouldn't have been sentenced with what he was sentenced with some of those changes. So he he brought up some good, valid points. And I actually had a phone call from a probation officer asking, you know, what would be the plans? You know, where would he stay? Where am I? How are we? You know, those type of questions. So. Mm-hmm. That was promising. Um, I'm hoping the judge will do the right thing, but if not, uh, Amy from Amy Pova from Can Do for Clemency has been John's angel. She has been the best advocate for him for clemency with President Trump. We did file under President Obama, and unfortunately, at the like the very last month he was in office, John's uh, petition for clemency through Obama was denied. I know they were overwhelmed with the, the number of clemency requests. And unfortunately, because he was charged as a leader organizer, that makes it more difficult, I'm sure, in their eyes to let somebody like that go. He's no El Chapo, but that's what 
you know, they've charged him as. So with President Trump, we have a tidal wave of support like we've never had before. Mm -hmm. I just spoke with Amy the other day and I told her, it's almost like you can feel the scale of justice changing where before we just felt such the underdog and so forgotten, you know, so, so limited on our, our potential, you know, to do anything to bring him home. And just through her advocacy and all the, the friends that we've made through that, you can almost, you can just feel it. It's palpable. The, the change that, that hopefully, I feel like it'll be soon, something big will happen. And we've gotten him closer than he's ever gotten before. She's been able to, to speak with people in the White House or who, who have, I don't know names and I don't get to know all the details, but I know some very important people have seen his name cross their desk. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that, that clemency will come for him. And, and he deserves it. I know I'm a little, a little biased, but <laughs> you know, he, he's worked really hard to, to change his, I don't want to say change his character because he's always been a very good man, a good, honest man. He just made a, a really foolish mistake, but I don't think he should go to prison for life for a mistake and a nonviolent mistake and never having made a mistake before like that. It just, to me, that sentence in itself was a cruel and unusual punishment. And anybody, any first time nonviolent offender should never get a life sentence. Just never. It shouldn't even, it shouldn't even come into the conversation. Hundred percent agree. And when you were talking about before about how, how the scales are are changing, and I, I agree with you that the the scale of the justice system is changing. And people are even people who I think are in the past you would think of them as more you know law and order, yeah. pro drug war type people. Even people like that, like more so on the conservative side, um, I think that side is sort of becoming even more of the criminal justice reform advocacy and, you know, looking at, you know, someone like, like John, who first time offender, I mean, he served what, 12, 12 years going on 13 years for a a first time offense, totally nonviolent crime. What, what else do you, do you want? I mean, (laughs) what, what is more time going to do? It's it's, seriously like, is, is there anybody out there who can make some sort of case that another, you know, completing a life sentence is somehow going to help the world in some way? No, it's not. I mean, uh, getting him back into society and allowing him to add value and his entrepreneurial spirit and uh, getting that back into the world, that's going to add value to society. So definitely. Yes. I don't know. I get I get fired up over over <laughs> stuff. Okay. Like Me too. <laughs> but I, I did want to uh you know, I did want to touch on a couple more things before yeah. I let you go. And this has been a great conversation and I thank you for for your time. But I just wanted you to um let us know how, how John is doing right now in prison with, with COVID and, and everything that's going on there. It's definitely been very scary. Um they they were he works for the commissary he's a clerk for the commissary and during the whole first portion of covid since february they've been on a modified lockdown but all the commissary workers were still working they were having to go make the deliveries to all the units and they've had they had a lot of contact so that worried me but now they've even stopped that to almost like a total lockdown hmm. and they asked john to choose because he had two jobs. He has his, he's a mentor 
and in, in the program, skills program with the prison, and he works with the doctor there. So he mentors people that have like a mental disability or they just need some, some help with life skills. And so they asked him to choose. He needed to choose that or he needed to choose working for the commissary. So he chose to stay in the mentor program. It's more rewarding, of course, than being a commissary clerk. But since then, so that was just the end of June, they completely locked down. And then they took his unit and made it the medical unit. So they moved all of them up, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> upstairs, <laughs> upstairs and put them in three men's cells now. So they added people to each of the cells. And it, it's definitely scary because you know, the COs are still going home and coming back to the prison. And he just told me in a letter the other day that I got that the rumor is 120, over 120 people have tested positive inmate-wise, but over 50 of the officers have. And when wow. that's, yeah, when that's who's bringing you your trays or for your bologna sandwich or your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that's what frightens me is now they're in this contained area and receiving things from people who could possibly be infected. That's, that's very scary for sure. And they're just not equipped. I mean, they're barely equipped to deal with day-to-day -day medical issues that the inmates have. Half the time, they'll send them back to their, you know, their unit with no treatment because most of the time they're like, oh, you know, you, you, not like you're faking it, but like it's not a legitimate reason to be here at sick call. So go on mm -hmm. about your way. People have died, of course, because they've done that to them. They're just not equipped to handle a pandemic. I mean, we barely are out here. You know, now you put it in this contained system, it's frightening. And, and unfortunately, I just saw where a woman passed away from the, the Coleman camp. Yeah, I saw that so, too. Yeah, it, it's horrible. It's horrible to, yeah, people, you know, go to prison, but they shouldn't have to die in prison. We, we're, we're better than that as a country. Where's our compassion? This, this is too much. It's too much. They need to change it for sure. A lot of things need to change, but... Right now, we have a really good reason to get these people out. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Uh, but before I let you go, June, um, I know you talked about um, Amy Pova and the Can Do Foundation, and Amy's been on this show, and you know, just an incredible woman for everything that she does uh, for advocating for clemency for so, so many people. Just such a, a powerful and caring organization. Yes. But I just wanted to give you a some time to to talk about that are there any ways i mean if you want to talk about the can do foundation more that that's great but are, are there ways people can can help uh raise raise awareness and help uh advocate for john uh yes he does have a change.org petition um you can just look up john boland on the petition there that's that's um one thing that she asked that we set up he has a facebook page you know, you can, you can write senators and congressmen just, you know, for general change and definitely support organizations like Amy's. You know, they, they, they do. They do this out of the goodness of their heart or because they were somehow affected or still affected by having someone in prison or having been in prison. They know like nobody else knows. And they are fighting for families because prison doesn't just affect the person who goes to prison. It affects everybody, their family, their friends, the community. It, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's like 
you know, a spider web. It just keeps going and it just affects so many people. And they are truly fighting. And Rufus, if it wasn't for Rufus, we wouldn't have ever met Amy. He is the one responsible for putting John in contact with Amy and we're forever grateful. And he's a great advocate for John as well. He talks about him on Facebook all the time. And Mm -hmm. he just, he just, every time he talks to me, he says, he's coming home. I'm telling you, He's coming home. There's no doubt in my mind. So those, those positive things, they mean a lot. And we have um, Malik, who works for Amy. He's been mm-hmm. a great advocate for John. And now we have other new uh, advocacy programs that are just popping up like crazy, which the more the better. The more the better. And, and supporting those organizations is very important, and especially with Amy, because can do will never ask you for a dime. <laughs> They will never ask. <laughs> that's that's true. I should uh, yeah, I should encourage that almost every episode for people to donate to the Can Do Foundation. That's a, yeah. that's a good point because yeah, yeah, she she does not. That's, she uh, will not. Yep, she's she's yeah. awesome. Yep. And the the work the amount the amount of uh, people that they've played a major role in getting their clemency, getting compassionate release. Um, I don't even know how long the list is, but it's it's. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure it's. It, over hundreds, maybe. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, and, and she's nonstop. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a nonstop job for her. I think twenty four seven. Yeah, and uh, we were just talking about Rufus, and I, mm-hmm. I've only met Rufus the one time having him on on the show. But, um, and I don't say. I mean, I say this hundred percent. You know, from the heart, honest. One of the most genuine, authentic, just such a, a kind soul. Yes. So yes. this is such a great person. It really um, is. But yeah, so I mean, uh, June, when I first heard John's story, um, it's one of those stories that it just, I mean, it just touches your heart. I mean, obviously, I've, this is the first time I've met you. I've never met John. And, uh, you know, I wanted to immediately reach out to you and, and try to get you on the show to, uh, to shine a light on this. So I will, uh, you know, continue to do anything that I can to, uh, to help you out, to, shine a light on this and, and advocate for John's clemency. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I, and I, I really hope one day soon he can, he can jump on this with you. And I mean, he won't, he didn't, I had to explain to him what a podcast was <laughs> when I first went on one. So it'll be a lot of changes for him, but hopefully you'll be able to meet him one day very soon. Yeah. When, as soon as he gets out, he can, he can <laughs> come on the show whenever he's ready. That'd be awesome. <laughs> All right, June. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, John. Hope you enjoyed that episode with another awesome guest here on Felony Friday. A couple things before you go about your day and scramble off to listen to your next podcast. Just want to remind you of a couple things. First of all, the Lions of Liberty Forum. Are you in it? Have you joined it? It's on Facebook. It's a great place to go to talk about the ideas of liberty, talk about criminal justice reform, all that great stuff. Just go to Facebook. You know that site, right? Just type in the top there, the search bar, Lions of Liberty Forum. It pops up. You click join. We let you in. Easy as that. Do it now. Um, Also, for those of you who know me, who uh, follow me on the uh, social media, you know that I'm passionate about gut health, plant-based supplements, all that good stuff, really healing the body from the inside out. If you or someone you love um, is also interested in really natural healing, getting your gut healthy, overcoming things like uh, anxiety, inflammation, IBS, or maybe you're just trying to lose a few pounds, so much is tied to our gut. 70% of our immunity 
resides in our gut. 90% of our serotonin is made in our gut. 50% of our dopamine. The gut-brain access is a real thing, my friends. When they talk about a gut feeling, um, that's real because there's a connection there. You get the stress, the stress feeling. You feel the upset stomach. That's a real thing. So if you're interested in learning more about gut health, probiotic systems, and healing from the inside out, striking the roots, uh, let me know. I just did a webinar on it this past week. So if you want to check it out, hit me up on my social medias on Instagram at John Odermatt or Twitter at John Odermatt, or you can find me on the Facebook. That's all I got for you guys today. And if you have anything for me, any topic suggestions for Felony Friday, as always, you can reach out to me, Felony Friday at lionsofliberty.com. Hope you all have a great weekend. Always remember to keep your head up in the fires of liberty burning.